Welcome back to the Someone to Tell To podcast. It's really good to have you with us today in season six. It's hard to believe that we're in season six. I, I can't believe it, actually. Some days it feels like it was yesterday, and other days it's felt like we've done six seasons. <laughs> six, but, or 16. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, today's guest is, is delightful. He is filled with so much wisdom around a really important subject matter, and it's just empathy. Are we in the midst of an empathy crisis is what he, he defined it as. And he just gives us some helpful ways forward in the world that we're in right now. Yeah, we really enjoyed this conversation. I mean, anytime we can talk about empathy, it's power, it's, it's wonder and its effect on our lives. We're, we're really glad to do that. So we grateful we could do that today. So let's introduce you to our guest. Rob Volpe is a thought leader in the role of empathy in marketing and the workplace. As the CEO of Ignite360, he leads a team of insight, strategy, and creative professionals, serving the world's leading brands across a range of industries He's a graduate of Syracuse University's SI Newhouse School of Public Communications. And Rob has been studying empathy since 2010, when the University of, Mi of Michigan study came out showcasing the empathy crisis. Frustrated with the steep drop in empathy skills and the lack of solutions to help people reverse the decline, Rob set out to understand what people need to do in the moment of engagement in order to reach empathy. In an effort to help clients better connect with their consumers, Rob reviewed many of the study abstracts, both neurobiological as well as socio-psychological, consulted with psychologists and conducted research with Ignite360's custom studies. He quickly realized it had broader application beyond the insights community. So as a result of his work, in the five stages of empathy, which he brought to life as the thoughtful, funny, and informative new book, Tell Me More About that Solving the Empathy Crisis One Conversation at a Time. So now Rob brings the five steps to audiences through live presentations and workshops, as well as Ignite 360 Empathy Camp and their training programs. Rob lives in San Francisco with his husband and three cats one of whom you will see and hear about on the program today. Well, Rob, so good to have you on the Someone to Tell It To podcast today. Thank you so much for having me, guys. It's great to be here. Well, for our listeners, we credit Rob today because he's beginning his day at 7.30 in the morning with us. And so this first question, we'll see how deep you're able to go at 7.30 in the morning. But we just love to ask all of our I've only had I've only had a few sips of coffee, right. so uh, we'll see what happens. Well, one of the questions we just love to ask all of our guests is just to, to tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, that's an easy one. Yeah, so I'll just say, hi, I'm Rob Volpe. I'm the empathy activist based in San Francisco. And my mission is to help inspire people to be more empathetic and use empathy to reach positive outcomes, whether that's at work or in their personal life. There's a lot of misunderstandings around empathy. And so I try to help clear all that up. I got to this point, so I live in San Francisco. I've lived in New York and Los Angeles, grew up in Indiana. Uh, I'm also the founder of Ignite360, which is a marketing research firm. So we help our clients understand 
human behavior, what's going on, what motivates people, the why behind their actions. And by connecting to that, it helps our clients unlock growth in their business because you can create better products and services and messaging and, and things like that. Rob, empathy is, is, if we use any word a lot, empathy is the word. We talk about it a lot. We, we, we try to model it as much as we can. We try to be empathetic and in every way possible. And it's, it, it is a term, it's a word, it's a concept that is so vital to the work we do in listening. So we'd love for you also as an expert on um, empathy and what it means to dis- to define it because we you know you've there've been cited some studies that show that there first of all there's an empathy deficit in this country in the United States and perhaps around the world there's also a what, the term squishiness has been used about how pe- how empathy is defined that a lot of people def- define it in different ways and so what is your definition of empathy, of empathy? What does it mean to you? Yeah, Michael, I mean, it's a great question. And there is a lot of misunderstanding around empathy and confusion. I, I give a lot of keynotes and training sessions, and I always ask the audience, like, how would you define empathy? And typically I get, and I, I agree with this general definition, empathy is about connecting with another person's perspective or feelings as though you were them. So in that idea of the colloquial walk a mile in somebody else's shoes as them, and that's kind of the key thing that I try to stress with people, you've got to give up your own perspective for a moment. You You have to take off your own shoes in order to step into somebody else's, as Steve Case once said. And, and that's really what it's about. I think, you know, if I could go back in time and rename empathy, give it a different word as it was starting to get used, it was 120 some odd years ago. What's happened is cognitive empathy and emotional empathy got bundled up into this broader empathy term. And they are actually two different things. The neuroscientists have found different parts of our brain that light up. Uh, when we're having empathy, when we're having cognitive empathy, one part of our brain hits. And then when we're having emotional empathy, another part fires up. So they are two different things, but you know, the way language developed, they're bundled together. So I try to draw that distinction. I think that's really helpful context for us. And as we were preparing for this conversation, I was reflecting back, you know, that we're in season six of our podcast now. And at one point we had had a guest on the program who is an empathy researcher as well. And, and I'll never forget, we like our, our, our dialogue to be very conversational with our guests, as, as you'll f- hopefully find out today. But I remember that day, we were in the midst of asking the guests some questions around her research. And I just kind of threw a, what I thought was a softball question of just like, what's an example of empathy that you've experienced over the last week in your life? And it was like eerily silent and she sat there and sat there and sat there and could not think of an example. And I think, yeah. So I think coming back to your point, I think empathy can mean so many different things to so many different people. And so I think in that instance, she just, she was kind of caught off guard and she couldn't think of a good example in the moment. But I think, you know, on any given day, we probably could define it a little bit differently. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think we have a, a 
penchant to remember the bad things that happened to us, just like we're kind of attuned to watch the car wreck on the side of the road. So we maybe remember the, the, you know, oh, they, they done me wrong. They hurt me. But I, you know, if, if I, hopefully your the listeners are are thinking about this question going, Hmm, well, how would, how would I answer that? Because as soon as you asked it, I was like, Oh, good question. And when, when have I heard that? And I, I go to moments where I feel like somebody has connected or, or I felt supported that I felt seen and heard by somebody else. So, you know, I think about, I had dinner with two other authors last night and they both, one has a book coming out soon about speak up culture and another has a book that just came out on Tuesday and we were having a good conversation and really just supporting and acknowledging each other on the things that we were going through. There were some shared experiences and that's very easy when you have that commonality with somebody to get to a place of empathy. And then I had another situation, um, on earlier this week where we were having some issues with a vendor partner and as we were getting that resolved they just used some language that helped acknowledge maybe where I was coming from or my perspective and so again I was feeling seen and heard and because of that then able to to move the conversation forward hmm. one of the things that you have written about and, and talk about our five steps to empathy. And we, we'd love you to describe what those steps are, what, you know, what they mean and how can people become more empathetic or practice model empathy better? Yeah. So you're going to find, I love talking with analogies and metaphors. And so one of the things I talk about with empathy is that it's like a muscle and empathy is something, as we talked about earlier, it's something we're born with. But just like a baby is born with muscles in its legs, it needs opportunities to strengthen those muscles, to be able to crawl and then stand and scoot, then walk, then run, and all those things. And empathy is very similar. You've got to practice it in order to strengthen the muscle up. And um, hopefully parents are giving their kids opportunities for creative play that they're demonstrating empathetic uh, behavior um, to help help with that. But when it gets into that moment of empathy, and, and the reason why we identified what these steps were was there was a lot of talk 10, 12 years ago about like, oh, we've all got to go get more empathy and we've got to be empathetic. But nobody was telling you how to do it. Like, what, what do you do? Empathy is a... a a competency or an ability that we have, an attribute. And how do you shine awareness on that? How do you awaken people to that idea of like, oh, wait, hey, I've got this in me too, so that they can then, as one of my friends who was with last night, one of the other authors said, it's like on a dimmer switch. So how do you actually raise the, the dimmer switch? So before I even get into the five steps, you've really got to have some self-awareness of how you're showing up and what's going on. You need to have a little bit of courage in order to make a difference. You've got to have the patience to practice and you've got to have grace with yourself and with others because we're all human. We're all trying. It's about progress, not perfection. The five steps though, these are the things when you're in the moment, when you're engaging with somebody else that you've got to be aware of, the things that are going to get in your way. 
Um, they don't, it's not a linear process. Uh, they don't all happen. It depends. Different people trigger you differently. Um, and, and it can depend on how much sleep you got last night, the mood that you're in, how you're feeling and past experiences with the person you're, you're interacting with. And then your judgment, which is the first step, dismantling judgment. So what are those preconceived notions you've got about somebody else? That really creates the brick wall that gets in our way. So more people struggle with judgment than any of the other steps. So there's that, again, awareness about, hey, what what are these thoughts that are going on in my head? Where's that coming from? How could I rephrase this differently? The second step then, you know, is to make sure you're asking good questions, that you're not leading somebody, that you're uh, not interrogating them when you mean to be exploring to understand further. Um, the third step is to actively listen. And that's about being present and paying attention and trusting all of your senses, including your intuition, in how to, you know, what what's the other person saying and what's not being said that maybe I should explore. Fourth step is integrate into understanding. And this is Again, another misconception people have about empathy is that, oh, if I have empathy with somebody else, if I can see somebody else's point of view, I've got to give up my own. And that's not the case. Having empathy just means that you've made room in your head to see where somebody else might be coming from. It doesn't mean you give up your own point of view or perspective, but you are able to then work together to find common ground so that you can reach a compromise or collaboration, solve a problem. You know, the way that you might communicate to somebody might be different if you make room in your head to understand where they're coming from. And then the fifth and final step is use solution imagination. And so that's about going into taking what you've heard and using that, taking the things you've taken in and using that to ask the next question, to move things along, to get to that positive outcome. There's so much that we're going to ask you as a result uh, of all that you just shared. And I'll, I'll just make a, a point to start that, you know, we're a part of what we like to call a, a global listening movement. And in order for something to become a movement, it's got to be a collective effort that everybody can be a part of it. They have to be able to see themselves as being a part of the movement. And so, you know, when it comes to empathy and it comes to listening, yeah, we make the argument all the time that everybody can become a better listener. So even if somebody maybe has a harder time listening well, it's not as natural, we still think that they can be a better listener. I think the same principle applies to empathy. So even if somebody maybe, you know, for us, we've referenced often the Myers-Briggs personality profile that it just, from our, our experience, those who are NFs, like I'm an INFJ and Michael's an INFP, those who are NFs in the middle are what's called intuitive feelers. And we just inherently feel things deeply with people. And so, you know, it's, it is more natural for those of us in that genre, in that category to, to listen well, because we, we can feel deeply with people, but we make the strong case, we hope that everybody can still grow. And I think you're making the same point. Yeah, definitely. And one thing I like to point out, I always call out for people that are perhaps it's NF, uh, they may define themselves as an empath or a highly sensitive person. That's an individual where their muscles are really uh, stronger and, and they're tuned in. They may be a, an empathy Olympian, if you would. Um, and so in those situations, you need to be aware. Of we'll tell our wives that. <laughs> Sorry. 
<laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. But the thing, if if anybody that's listening identifies with that or resonates, what what's important for those individuals, if you're an empath, a highly sensitive person, an NF on Myers-Briggs, is to learn to set how the boundaries should be set so that you're not taking, you know, effectively what you're doing when is you're taking in energy and that energy goes into you, but you can imagine it like going into and filling up a bucket. Well, that bucket's going to get really heavy, really fast. So instead you don't want to be carrying a bucket around. You want to sieve. You know, it's just like when you're making pasta and when you've, you've boiled it long enough, then you pour it into a colander or a sieve, you strain it. So all of that extra energy is flowing out, but you're holding on to the things that you really need, which the pasta in that case, but in the case of, of the empathy is that information, that point of view, that feeling, that connection that you've got, that's what you're holding on to. You're letting the rest of it go. So it's about boundaries and what you're taking in, how you're carrying it. And then it's about the self-care that you need to recharge because it's really draining. I mean, you're carrying, imagine carrying around a heavy bucket all the time. You get tired and you need to recharge the batteries. And it's different for everybody. There's no one magic pill, but it typically, you know, it, it can range from, you know, I, I, people have told me, oh, they like to take like a nice hot bath and candles or, or just a soak in the tub will recharge them. Others, it's a yoga class. Some it's a walk in nature. Others, it's playing with their pet or their kids or others, it's cooking or baking. Whatever those things are that allow you to reconnect and recharge your own batteries Find those and make space for it and make sure it becomes part of your, your routine as needed, whether that's daily, weekly, monthly, whatever that, that actually is. That is so important. And we, in the work that we do, because we're listening to people every day and, and normally as always, people are not coming to us because things are great. They're coming because they're hard. And so we hear a lot of stories of brokenness, of pain, of loss, of grief, and to be empathetic with all of that can be a very heavy thing to carry as you're talking about. You're taking all that energy. Yeah. And the thing that really brought that to light for me, when I first started in marketing research 15 or so years ago, you know, I was going out and having all these conversations with people and carrying their stories. And this was like, I would be that person in the supermarket aisle that wanted to talk to you, not just answer a survey, check boxes, but actually have a conversation with you about the purchase that you made. Did you notice a new product on the shelf? But you don't just ask that question. You learn about who people are and you're picking up all their energy. And I was carrying all these stories and it felt like a weight. And I went to a session with a, a guy who does breath work. And so it's through different breathing patterns that you can release and move energy around. And I had this tremendous experience of all these stories from the people I was carrying leaving kind of my body. And I'd been talking to people for, you know, over six months at that point, but it really brought it to life. Like, you know, you think about this as energy that you're, you're carrying when you're listening, you're receiving things. It's got to go somewhere. It's not just, you know, invisible currents, you're holding on to it and it can start to show up in your body. So how do you take care of that? So yeah, it's so important and critical in what we do. So we have, for those who are listening, 
and you've gone through our training program, you would see the parallels between your empathy work and, and our listening training. We actually have six modules and the sixth is around self-care. But I mean, so much of what you're describing right now is, is, is parallels our, our listening training so well. And, and here at Someone to Tell To, we say that in order to listen well, that we have to start with the belief that someone matters and that they have a story worth listening to. And this obviously dovetails nicely with your first step to empathy, which you had mentioned is to dismantle judgments. So how, how do we put aside those judgments in order to believe that someone is worthy of empathy? So when I learned how to moderate, one of the things they taught me, the woman Naomi Henderson, who's since passed, one of the things that she taught me was to have unconditional positive regard. She called it UPR, unconditional positive regard for other people. And it's the idea that everybody has a story to tell and everybody has the right, if you would, to share that and to be seen and heard. That's what we're all looking for. We want to know that we're enough, that we're, you know, we we have a place in this earth and to see and to hear somebody. So, you know, you're giving somebody a gift when you are holding space for them to tell their story. And it's one thing when you're going off and doing you know, research interviews and I'm recruited somebody, they're getting paid, I'm going to sit down in their home and talk to them for two hours. And then there's those day-to-day -day interactions that you have with somebody. And so, it, you know, again, it's about how you're approaching people and thinking about them. Another tip that I offer in my keynotes is around taking a curious breath. And so, you know, we all have those moments where we're talking to somebody and we're feeling like we're we're falling a little back on our heels. They're saying something that we disagree with. We've got all those sort of rumbling going on inside and maybe we want to just smack back. Instead of doing that, and again, this is where the self-awareness and a little bit of courage comes in, take a curious breath, just pause, inhale, and then exhale. And by doing that, you're, you're one, you know, you're expanding your lungs, but you're mentally expanding as well and creating space. And they, the neuroscientists will tell you the the gap between stimulus and response is actually there. So it's not like you have stimulus and the response happens immediately or overlaps. There's actually a little gap between what is happening to you and then how you respond. And it's that little gap that you want to get into and expand and make the choice on how you're going to respond. And a curious breath can help you do that. Recently, though, I had an experience like that curious breath can be a breath in a moment while we're, you're having a conversation with somebody. I had one where it lasted for three days because I needed that much <laughs> And you're space. still alive. <laughs> and I'm still alive. I just held, you know, I got big lungs, big guy. Um, but I'd gotten an email and it really, I, it triggered me and I wanted to just, you know, reply back and say something kind of negative. And I thought, you know what? Nope. I took that curious breath and I decided I needed to wait. And it was like a Friday when that email came in, I thought I'm going to wait till Monday because it was a work email and I don't have to reply right away. I can actually make space for this and change my perspective and change the way that I'm viewing things and thinking about it. So 
it takes a lot of, it takes courage, it takes patience, practice, all of those things to, to start to do that. So whether you're making it, you know, three milliseconds or three days, taking that curious breath makes such a huge difference in how you actually can frame your response to somebody else. If you're feeling kind of challenged, it gives you time to choose your words, choose how you want to show up and what you want to say to the other person. That. That's brilliant. But I, I would imagine for most of us, that would take some serious training to be able to, to train ourselves to take that, that curious breath. You know, I mean, what, what is life, but a giant training, you know, session and a lot of repetition and you, you know, I, I do believe the universe puts things in front of you until you clear the obstacle or solve the question you will always get other opportunities. There are times where I get challenged and I don't take a curious breath. And then, you know, there's a negative outcome that happens. We're all human. And this is about the grace piece of it. <laughs> Can I ask, what, what do you do when that happens? When you, you realize, okay, I you um, like to speak in metaphor. So why don't you give us some metaphors? <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. I need more coffee. Hold on. And what do I really want to share? Take as many um, sips as you need. <laughs> <laughs> curious breaths. Like, hmm, what do I want to say? I mean, there have been plenty of times where I've not been as supportive or as empathetic towards somebody or wanting to listen. You know, there have been, I mean, I, I think of an instance a few years ago where I had, I travel a lot for my work. I've got very high status with one of the airlines and they'll do things, special things like hold planes for you. And, you know, so you can make your connecting flight. And I was traveling from the East coast to the West coast. I was making a connection and they didn't do that. And we missed, like, it was literally one of those situations. Like you could see your flight, your connecting flight, leaving the gate while you were like pulling into the gate, like three gates away. And you're like, why could they not hold that plane? And somebody from customer service came to help us. And it's like, oh, you're going to spend the night here and you're going to, you know, we'll put you up in this hotel and la la la. And I had a business trip the next morning where I was heading back from the West Coast into the Midwest. And I was like, this is not what I want to be doing. I was supposed to be home so I could do all the things. And I kind of lost my shit and I'm not terribly proud of it, but I definitely had a moment and I, you know, had to vent. I had to get it out. The customer service agent, to her credit, listened and held space. Did she offer as much empathy for me as I had hoped? You know, and, and typically in that situation, what you're looking for is, you know, is some sort of a, just acknowledgement. Wow. I can imagine. I know what that's like. I can imagine that's really difficult for you. And I'm really sorry we weren't able to, to make this happen for you. Let's see what else we can do to make this easier for you with your trip tomorrow or what you're doing or whatever. Because I think I ended up staying in the connecting city and then flying on to my final destination and having clothes shipped to me so that I would have business appropriate clothes in my next destination for the work that I needed to do that week. And of course, the airline didn't pay for any of that. But that's a situation where I did not pause. I, I Something was happening. There was stimulus. 
And I responded and reacted right away without taking a cure, you know, that curious breath and pausing. And so those are the situations where it's, it's hard. It's really hard. And, and I ask people in trainings and things, scale of one to five, one being low, five being high, like, where would you rate yourself on your empathy abilities? And I don't have people admit any of that out loud because I don't want the posturing. I want them to give themselves an honest number. And then I reveal to people that I give myself like a 3.5, maybe a four on a good day because judgment is still, I, I write in my book, like we're born brown-eyed and judgy. And in my family, that's a dominant gene set for us. And and so I'm constantly wrestling with this. I'm, I don't I'm not up on a pedestal. I just am somebody that spent some time thinking about empathy and how we go through these motions and sharing my wisdom now with other people to help them be inspired through my own, you know, as I call it, misadventures in empathy and my situations that I've been in to help people learn how to be more empathetic. And in my book, my book is all told through narrative storytelling. So I go into all of the steps, but I actually use my experiences going in in-home research and things like that. I talk about, talking about travel, I talk about getting stuck in an airport and having to spend the night on the floor in the airport. And I had always cast aspersion at like, what are those poor schmoes having to sleep over there? Why can't they go back to their friend's house or a hotel or whatever until it happened to me? And then I started, I had the experience. I'm like, oh, okay, now I, I understand and I have more empathy and that actually can lead to compassion for somebody that's having to, you know, unexpectedly spend the night in the airport. So use the book to bring all of those things to life because I, I never claim to be perfect. I'm as human as, as the two of you and all of your listeners. That's such a good story. And thank you for your vulnerability around it. Michael and I can absolutely empathize with, especially the losing your shit portion of the the story. We've been in those instances, but I think we can also empathize with just having, you know, an airplane that you miss your flight or whatever. The part of the story that I think we'd have a harder time is that we'd actually, an airplane would actually be held up uh, for, for, that, for us. That's, that's never happened. That's never so, happened. So, so we, we cannot relate or resonate with that experience. <laughs> but I think um, you know, the last thing that you said there that I think I'd love to, to just spend another minute on is when you said that you have to be able to see yourself in a similar situation. So like I'm a, I'm a runner, for example, and I've had some close calls with cars even recently as of, as of last week where I, they're just not paying attention on the road or they are paying attention and they just don't move over. And, and I'm thinking of one instance in particular where there was a young woman who was driving, it was a Saturday morning and I was on a really long run training for a marathon and, and she was texting while driving and she had her phone literally up to her face as she was driving not paying attention. Now I could see her way off in the distance and I could tell what was transpiring. So I moved over, but you know, my immediate reaction is certainly to be frustrated about it. But then I also like try to remove myself from the situation and think, well, have I ever done that? I probably have, you know, there have probably been instances where I've picked up my phone and looked at a, a message when I shouldn't have. And so I think that's something that's really important to do consistently is to to imagine ourselves in that similar situation that we're all capable of that. We, we are all capable of it. And, and the thing like empathy can help you 
and and one of the narrative arcs in the book is about my reaching forgiveness with the my classmates that bullied and and teased me growing up and i used empathy in order to get there because empathy is a path to forgiveness you can understand where somebody's coming from. It doesn't excuse the behavior. It does not excuse texting while driving. And, and because the consequences of that are particular, I mean, you you could have died if she hadn't, you hadn't seen her and, you know, something else had happened. She drifted or something like that. Like bad consequences can happen. It does not excuse the act, but through empathy, you can reach a place of forgiveness. And then it's around how do I help that other person, uh, if you're in that situation, see my point of view and see where I'm coming from. So that then together you can find a compromise or uh, a solution that's going to work for everybody. And in some cases, in some cases, it's just an apology. That's what you want. You want to hear someone say, I'm really sorry, I should not have been doing that. Instead of, I don't know if you guys watched like what happened in Montgomery, Alabama recently this weekend with the the captain of the riverboat or whatever, who had to move somebody else's smaller boat out of the way. And those guys came and attacked the captain of that other boat and it turned into a huge brawl. And it happened to be, you know, uh, the the riverboat captain was black and the guys that had the other boat were white and they came in and I didn't hear exactly what happened. But when you look at it and read the body language, they got all up in his face instead of just saying, I'm really sorry. (laughs) It's like there's a riverboat coming in. You got to like make space for it. We, we've lost the ability to admit that we're wrong. We're in a, a culture of zero-sum game, winner takes all, and, and have been, you know, moving in this space for quite a long time. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Someone to Tell It To podcast. Wonders Found Thrift Shop is proud to be one of its sponsors. Wonders Found is an all-volunteer-run thrift shop begun to support our mission team as they rebuild homes in disaster areas. We support local missions, people experiencing homelessness, veterans, and children and youth outreaches. We also provide clothing and household items to families displaced by fire or flood. You can learn more at our website, wondersfound.org, or stop in to see what wonders you can find at 7810 Allentown Boulevard, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. We hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast. These are fascinating examples and, and, and stories. Would you talk about why you got interested in empathy in the first place? What is it that encouraged you, that inspired you, that motivated you to take empathy and want to do something really special and important about it? Always been, always had empathy as a superpower. I think my kind of, you know, from the time that I was growing up, it's how I navigated and survived, you know, being teased and bullied in elementary, junior high and high school. And then it's just part and parcel of who I am. But because of that, it's just sort of intuitive and inherent in in myself. What really turned on the self-awareness was hearing about the study out of the University of Michigan that came out in 2010 
and had found a 40% decline in empathy skills amongst, or the ability to have empathy with classmates among college students. And so what they had done, they looked at a period from 1979 to 2009, 76 different universities, how people answered the question, are you able to easily see the point of view of your classmates? And what they found was a 40% decline from 1979 to 2001. And then it did not tick back up or go much further down from 2001 to the end of the study. That showed up on the, it made CNN, like the anchors talked about it. It was on the ticker. I saw it. I was traveling that day as I I did a lot uh, back at that time. I saw it in the airport. I saw it in my hotel room. And I just remember going, oh my God, this is really, really bad because if people are, you know, first of all, even then somebody that was in college in 2001 was going to be around 30 today, they're in their, you know, early forties. So they're already a member of, you know, adult society. They're, you know, a, a contributor in their workplace. They're a volunteer, they're a neighbor, a parent, a partner, a friend, like they're out there and they can't easily see the point of view of others the way that previous generations had. That's really concerning for what, you know, is to come in our society. And, you know, that was in 2010. And you can see how things have have devolved since then. So that was the real kind of warning cry. And I looked, I remember looking around, seeing that on the airport, at the airport, and, you know, the, there were people having a beer over at the, the airport bar and other people were racing to get their flight. I felt like I was the only person actually watching and and hearing this message. And I thought we've got to do something. So that's what really got it started in my adult life of becoming more aware of empathy and how do we actually get there? And then we would be doing projects, research projects. And, you know, again, I mentioned earlier, it's about connecting our clients with their consumers to spark some inspiration for them to go off and make better products and services that meet the needs of their consumers, have empathy with them in order to satisfy what their their actual needs are. And then everybody's going to win. The consumer is going to have products that they need and and truly can use. And the clients are going to see an increase in business as a result of that, because they're going to sell more product. But we would get into situations, I remember business unit directors, so somebody relatively senior at a food manufacturer, we had done a study, I think it was around 2012, Greek yogurt was taking over the world and disrupting the yogurt aisle and pushing the traditional Yoplays and Danons of the world pushing away, taking their shelf space, stealing their share, stealing their business. And it was a sizable dent in their business. And so they wanted to understand why, what was going on. And so we went out and we talked to a bunch of people that are buying Chobani and Faye and what, why are you doing this? And what are you, what are you getting out of it? And came in, presented all of that learning, talked about this is, this is what's happening. This is why. And this business director said at the end, he's like, I don't understand why somebody would pay more than a dollar for a cup of yogurt. And it was like, Okay, would it tell me more? And his judgment was getting in the way. It was just inconceivable when Dannon and Yoplait are 55 cents a cup. Why would somebody want to pay double that for something else? So his judgment wasn't letting him get in to see the consumer, to have connection and understanding. And as a result, it became very difficult for that team, that business unit, to create a product that was going to effectively compete. 
and you know the, the the pain continued to happen there were a lot of layoffs and and bad things and it's not just because of that one situation but it's a, a classic example and and it was coming out of things like that that was like okay wait a minute we've got to do something about this and that's when as i said earlier a lot of people say oh we've got to got to have empathy got to get more empathy but it's like what what is that? Like, how do, how do you do that? It's, it's this innate inherent ability. How do you awaken, bring awareness to it so that somebody can, you know, turn up the dimmer switch and, and brighten their, their empathy skills. Yeah. We've seen articles, I think even in the last year from Forbes magazine saying like empathy is the number one leadership skill in the workplace at this point, maybe a question for you off of that is just, yeah, just why is it taken so long for that to be of such utmost importance? Yeah, it's depending on who you talk to it, 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 empathy is bundled into the EQ skills and those have been gaining an awareness for a while. Some people would say 10 years, others might argue 20, depending on whatever the, you know, conversations are they've been privy to or articles that they've read what recently happened and what's made it such a hot button now is actually a result of the pandemic and the great resignation and what was going on there managers employers were not initially not all of them being empathetic to their employees and the situations that they were in a great example, I've got a, a hyperthyroid cat running around making a lot of noise right now, and I'm trying to manage her, push her aside, comfort her, throw her off the desk, not, not throw, place her down off the desk, while having this conversation. And we talked about it before we started recording, so you guys knew that that was going on. But believe it or not, there are managers and employers out there that would not have empathy and understand, wow, okay, he's got something else that's also going on. I'm going to give him a little bit of grace in like maybe he's you know distracted and so he's not going to answer a question right away or whatever the situation is. You know, you you had parents who had their kids at home all of a sudden and had to make sure they were going to online school. And not all employers were empathetic with that and making accommodations. And so if you don't feel like you've got an empathetic, as I was saying, this is perfect example. She just knocked over a trash can. Um, <laughs> so, Oh, the time that any better. No, that was per- that was, Thank you, Domino. That, that was perfect. Here, here, I will point, introduce. Point, point well taken. <laughs> There's that's Domino. That's my troublemaker this morning, <laughs> and she's got two siblings. She's usually the one that likes to be present when I'm on a call, but or, or doing a podcast. <laughs> but today she's particularly wound. So, thank you guys, and thanks to the audience that this makes it into the final edit. <laughs> Uh, for your patience with this. <laughs> so where, oh yeah. So anyway, related, very related to the situation that wasn't always happening. And so people, if you don't feel like you've got empathetic leadership, you're not going to feel as connected to the organization. The loyalty to the organization goes down. Why should I be here? They don't care about me. Why should I care about them? It's kind of the the mindset. Um, other studies have found that people's ability to be innovative is like fivefold if they feel like they've got an empathetic manager. 
And that's not just innovation from a, I'm going to come up with the next big idea. That's about problem solving and being able to, to reach solutions. Additionally, people feel more inclusion and that they belong in their organization. Uh, so all of those things are leading leading up to the need to have empathy as a manager, as a leader. The challenge is that that runs completely contradictory, contradictory to all the messages and signals and role models that we see in the media through stories of how people are supposed to show up in the workplace going back to at least World War II. So, you know, it's the emotion doesn't have a place in the workplace. We'd be strong. It's about winning. It's about, you know, cutthroat this or that. We celebrate, you know, it's like we basically put false idols up on pedestals. We celebrate the bad boy CEOs rather than championing the greater number of CEOs that are more empathetic and compassionate. And actually studies have found that those organizations can be two times as successful as ones where there isn't that level of support. Uh, to change the conversation just a little bit, recently, uh, earlier this year, in the central Pennsylvania Harrisburg region, there was a big controversy at a local school, public school, where a political slash religious group, and I won't name the group, <laughs> but sued the school district because the school district was planning a course, a curriculum that dealt with empathy. Because of the empathy deficit that, that it was solved, that was, we were having. Well, this group um, raised, you know, raised their hackles about it, sued the school district, and it made the, made the coverage on the news and in the press. And one of the parents of, of, of the students who part of that school who were part of the suit against the school teaching empathy said that I don't want, and I'm paraphrasing this quote, but basically, I don't want my children to be taught empathy because there are people who do not deserve their empathy. How do you react to that? And what, what do you say to that? How do you, those of us who, who treasure and value empathy and think that it is a wonderful answer to our divisions and our problems and our dilemmas, how do, how do we counter it? Well, I just took a very deep inhale and exhale. <laughs> well done. Good, good for you. And shaking. I was good I was you. shaking my head about it. And you know, it's 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 interesting because this 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 keeps coming up. I pay attention to like, you know, when certain questions or situations keep coming up and I'm like, oh, there's a pattern here. This means I need to like address it or do something about it. And the thing that keeps coming up is that this idea of there are other people that don't deserve empathy, or I had somebody recently, somebody that was uh, left-leaning politically in a very right-leaning state say to me, oh, those people on the other side, they don't have any empathy and they don't deserve my empathy. It's a very similar kind of sentiment. And it's like, no, that's actually not true. They 
we are all born with the ability to have empathy. And unless you are a narcissist or on that antisocial disorder, you're going to, those 10% of the population have trouble tapping into it, but otherwise everybody else has the ability to do it. It's a question of whether you're asking for it or you're offering it. And in that situation, to me, it again, does not mean that you have to give up your own point of view. But if you could be curious, that individual who made that statement will not be successful in trying to persuade somebody to successfully communicate with them how they're feeling because they're they're being judgmental. They're holding contempt towards that other person. And instead, maybe be curious about where their perspective is coming from. Like, where, where did that belief, that situation, where's that coming from? What's going on? And how can you then work together to find a solution? I think that blanket sort of dismissal isn't, it, it, it's it's not helpful, useful. It's not going to solve anything. And it doesn't feel like a rational, a real rational reason for why you shouldn't teach empathy to kids either. But I'd be curious to hear more about her perspective. Mm. Yeah, I think it also comes back to something we talked a little bit about earlier in the episode of just starting with this belief that everybody is worthy of empathy. So if you don't start yeah, with it's that it's unconditional positive regard. Yeah. Everybody has a point of view, a perspective and it comes from a lifetime of experiences and programming that's gone into their heads through society, organization, school, parents, family, all the things, everything, media, all of those unique inputs create who you are as a person. And that's endlessly fascinating to understand and kind of peel that back and try to get to who that is. And just because you, I mean, all three of us sound kind of like-minded. I'm sure if we had enough time, we'd find things we disagree on. And instead of just dismissing you and going, Ugh, I don't want to talk to you, be curious, find out more, ask. You have a right to your opinion. And if I want to try to persuade you to a different point of view or collaborate with you, maybe I, you know, you're my neighbor and we've got to settle on how what the fence is going to look like, how big it's going to be, you've got to actually use empathy to get there and ask good questions and listen and then integrate that into your understanding and use some imagination to have the conversation. If that individual that made that quote feels like her neighbor is the person that doesn't deserve her empathy, how is she ever going to you know, come to a compromise on the things the neighbors have to compromise on? Just think the sign right above your head in your background, uh, for those who can't see, it just says, ask more questions. And that is something we all can learn to do more of, especially with those who may see the world differently than we do. Well, we know our time's probably winding down here, but just like one or two last questions that we would have for you, uh, we could, like all of our guests, we could just talk about this all day long. But we wanted to share another story. We, like you, do a lot of public speaking and something happened to us probably seven or eight years ago. We were speaking to a pretty large men's group on a Saturday morning. 
And afterwards, there was a man who just, you could just tell he wasn't connecting with our work. And he was pretty stoic in the back of the room with his arms crossed. And then during the question and answer time, which we love to do, actually, we we ended up having uh, some really meaningful conversation with the rest of the crowd. But for whatever reason, he was one of the first people who who spoke up. And he just said, I, I don't understand why would men want to come and talk to you about you keep using these words, empathy and compassion. Isn't it kind of pink? Um, and it was just fascinating to us. And I think we had, we, t- we probably could have used, especially me, probably could have used a curious breath in that moment <laughs> before I responded. But I think hopefully we responded with grace and understanding. But nevertheless, I think it, his response is something we just would love for just a minute to talk about, especially as three men. Just you know, how would you address a question or a statement like that? Are you going to tell me how you addressed it after I answer? <laughs> we can do that. Because I'm curious. Well, to well hear. first of all, um, he's asking, he, the guy's asking, and Tom whispers to me, let me take this one. I could tell he was he was getting fired up here. <laughs> my my initial response to that is actually no, it's a human condition, it's a human trait. It's something all humans have. It's about whether we have the courage and the awareness to tap into it and to use it and to make ourselves and the world a better place. And that's a choice that we all have to make. And then I might talk about, you know, I can, I can imagine. So again, I'm, if, you know, I can try, I'm trying to put myself into issues. I may ask more questions like, well, where does that understanding come from? So ask more questions to get a little better understanding rather than me just jumping to conclusions. But let's say, you know, it's like, well, okay, I can imagine through, you know, the, the, way that you might've been raised, whether it was in a church or, you know, your father or other male role models or things that you've seen on TV about the Marlboro man or whatever are leading you to the, you know, men are stoic. They don't express emotion. That's girly stuff and not tapping into it. But back to that question, you'd asked me at the beginning of the show when, you know, has somebody shown empathy to you in the past or tell me about a time when somebody, you know, demonstrated compassion or have you ever demonstrated, when have you demonstrated compassion to somebody? And I'm sure there's a moment I I'm going to this image, like, Oh, he's a farmer. And, and these are gross stereotypes. So apologies to any farmers, but imagine he's a farmer and an older kind of good old boy and it's like, well, maybe he's helped a neighbor out, a fellow farmer with loaning equipment or something like that. I mean, that could be just loaning a, a hammer to your, or a ladder to your neighbor. That's empathy. There, There's some compassion there. You're helping somebody out that's in need. And maybe try to bring some awareness to the little things because the empathy and compassion are all around him. He's just not aware his eyes aren't open to what's actually happening around him and i think that would be the thing to try to connect with and other people are just some people just aren't as far along on the journey but he was still there and he still heard you so that message might be sitting in his head and then you know it's like it might take a few weeks or months but that's when things start to to trigger or or turn on 
Yeah. And I, I think obviously hindsight's always twenty twenty. I think it would have been great to be able to have more conversations with the man and to be able to ask more questions to learn more because that kind of an understanding is fascinating. Where did that come from? That had to have come from somewhere. The fact that he had that kind of knee jerk reaction to what we were talking about. But I, you had asked about my response and I, I think one of the best responses we can always give um, in almost any situation is always just to talk from experience. We, I, I use a lot of examples of experiences that we've had with men since we started Someone to Tell To over 11 years ago who have reached out in very vulnerable situations and expressed significant amounts of vulnerability and openness. And, and also just talked about my relationship with Michael and the, the level of openness that we've always had together as friends, as men, and how meaningful and impactful it's been and how essential it's been. So I think I tried to take that angle with, with the man, if I remember correctly. You did. Tom actually did a really good, he did a really good job of being gracious and, and yeah, just I, exactly. You shared, you shared some examples that, that our experience has been that men relate very much to this message, our message, and, and need empathy, deserve empathy as much as anyone else. Absolutely. Absolutely. And men are uncomfortable with it. There's an exercise I do where I ask people to tell me about a person at work, a leader that they look up to and what is it about that? And then, so they name someone, okay, well, what are the characteristics? What is it about that person? Usually they point to a manager, an early mentor, somebody along their career that they've had and the things that they really resonate with or what, what put them, what earned them that status was that they listened to them that they took the time, the interest, they had the empathy with that individual to help them along their path and, and their journey through work. And often it's men that are, are doing that. So, you know, I, I will then ask the audience like, okay, so how do you want to be remembered? Is that what you want to be? Or let's do some word association with Elon Musk right now and what we think he might be like as a boss or, a, you know, any bad boss, we've all had them, any bad boss that we've, we've had. And typically it's, they're unempathetic. They're not supportive. They're, you know, belittling, berating all of the, all of that, but it's, it's a challenge. There's all this programming that we have to overcome. It's, it's like, you know, there are people that are so, there are some men that are just aghast at the Barbie mute movie and like wouldn't be caught dead going into that film. And it's like, it's really too bad because you're missing a much bigger message. It's not just about female empowerment. It's about people understanding who they are and that existential crisis of who am I and what's my place in the world. And Barbie and Ken I don't want to give too many spoilers away, but Barbie and Ken are experiencing that in their own ways. And the movie works through that. But you've got to get beyond your judgment and those barriers, those stereotypes that you're carrying in order to, to move forward and advance. Otherwise, you're just going to be stuck in place. Mm. One last question, because I, you know, we know our time is, is running out. How do you see the future and empathy's power to make the world better? Empathy is the thing that connects us. 
whether when we're having a shared experience, there's an empathetic bond that's being built. When we're interacting with each other, it's through empathy. AI is not capable of empathy at this point. Empathy is what brings us together to solve problems and to work together. So when we're faced with these existential sort of threats that society is faced with, with empathy is the thing that is going to connect us and help us get through and transform and solve whatever it is that we we need to solve. So, you know, the the work right now through listening, through broader understanding of empathy, and there's so many people stepping up and into this space through all these different avenues. And it's really exciting to help people understand, to, to raise the dimmer switch up and to brighten their understanding of empathy and then their their muscles and get their muscles back into shape. So there's a lot of work ahead of us. The subtitle of my book is Solving the Empathy Crisis, One Conversation at a Time. And I keep telling myself it's one conversation at a time, whether it's this conversation that we're having or a personal interaction that I or one of your listeners ultimately ends up having. Um, that is how we are going to make the world a better place. Rob, it's been so good to meet you. So good to learn more about your work. We're proud of you for the book that you're putting into the world. And where would people learn more about your book? Um, well, thank you, Tom and Michael. First of all, this has really been an awesome conversation. Uh, my book's available wherever people prefer to buy books. Obviously, Amazon and then Barnes & Noble, all the other booksellers. There's also an audiobook I narrated. Really love how that that turned out. So if that's your thing, it's on all the audio platforms and there's an ebook. And you can learn more about me and connect with me not only on social, look for Empathy Activist on Instagram, TikTok, and LinkedIn, but also you can go to my website, which is robvolpe.expert. So Rob, V-O-L-P as in Peter, E dot expert. And that's my website. And you can learn a lot more there. Thank you, Rob. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. We love what you do. And we think that it, what, it, what you do is so closely linked with what we do as well. And, and we're always grateful to find brothers in arms here in, in this sense and, and sisters as well who understand and, and do these kind, this kind of work and to help the world be a more empathetic place. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. And let me point out, so I have asked more questions, but the other sign behind me says, listen. Oh, there you yeah. go. <laughs> Perfect. Always there, always a reminder. Perfect. And peace to you. Yes. Thank you, guys. Okay. As always, we really want to thank you for joining with us today. And this is a topic that is so close to our hearts and, and so close to our work and, and our mission. Empathy, we believe, is the key to listening well. It's, it's the key to better relationships. It's the key to solving the world's problems and divisions that, that, we, that we know we have. So we're grateful for people like Rob who dedicate their lives to working in the empathy space and helping us know and, and realize how important empathy is. Yeah, I think for me, just probably the biggest takeaway is when he went in this long uh, response about what he calls uh, curious breath and taking a curious breath when we're in those moments where we're frustrated or annoyed by someone 
um, maybe somebody's actions, we feel harmed in some way, and to take those curious breaths to respond more compassionately and positively, I think is something I know I'm going to hold on to going forward and try to implement, which is, as I mentioned, it's going to be, it's going to be something that we have to work at. It's, as he said, it's going to take exercise, exercise those muscles. So we're grateful you could be with us today. We hope that if, if you love these programs that you will support it financially because that helps us to be able to, to do more and talk with more guests and reach out to them, experts in, in their fields and in fields that connect with ours. So uh, you can do that through patreon.com or go on someone to tell it to his website and just just make a donation and you can say that it's to support our podcast series. So again, we're grateful that you were with us today and we just say until we listen again.